believe it goes for those coming out of the sixth grade, goes up that far. Am I got that right, Michelle? Is that right? Okay, nobody's correcting me, so I think that's right. Um, so, and I thank volunteers for Bible school. Your T-shirts are here, so be sure and pick those up before you leave. And hey, let's get the word out about Bible school this week to our neighbors and friends. Be sure and uh, let them know that. It's a good chance to just uh, go to somebody maybe you want to talk to about church and don't know how, and maybe just an easy way to bring up the things of the Lord and just say, hey, uh, if your grandkids or kids aren't doing anything next week, we'd love to invite you to Bible school. In fact, we got room in our car, you know, if that's the case, and invite them to, invite to take them with you. Also, we have a big outreach event coming up soon, Sportsman's Dinner, coming up August the 9th. And so you saw this display table set up with some of the books that our special speaker, Steve Chapman, has written. And uh, so we hope that you'll come to that. But most importantly, this is an outreach event. So we want to invite people from outside the church to come. And so there's tickets available for that. I've got some of my office. You can pick up 10 or 20 if you want to and take them and try to sell them. Uh, $10 a piece for adults and $5 for uh, kids five and under. And uh, we had a great attendance for that last year. And uh, everybody that came close got to hear the gospel. So we're looking forward to that. And we need somebody uh, that uh, if you are somebody that's willing to help prepare wild game for our wild game dinner or tasting table and we've got a lot of guys that have meat that could donate that to you to prepare some of those dishes and and if you've got recipes or need recipes if you're willing to do that be sure and see josh mcfarland about that but also if you're just willing to prepare a wild game dish you got some uh, squirrel recipe or a possum stew recipe or something like that you know then uh then fix it up and bring it to us you know if there's a, a fresh possum out here this morning don't don't pass it by stop by and get it and uh you know you can boil anything you know i learned that growing up so just just go ahead and boil that possum and bring it on you know i ain't trying it but i, I won't we'll just we won't label anything we'll just put it out there we'll have a good time now tonight uh <coughs> I'm going to let Manita Turner come up right now and tell you about tonight. Manita, come on up here tonight. Our Bosnia team is going to have a special report, but along with that, we're going to have some ice cream too, a little ice cream social. Manita, come on up here. I heard somebody told me today that today's National Ice Cream Day, so we didn't time it that way, but it worked out. So, uh, Manita, come and tell us a little bit about that. Good morning. My name is Benita Turner, and I just wanted to thank you to the church everyone who either prayed, financially supported, um, or encouraged myself or the other members of our team that went to Bosnia. I also want to thank my husband and kids for supporting me and allowing me to go. I first want to begin by reading Romans 12, 13 through part of verse 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him and whom they have not believed? And how will they to believe in him of whom they have never heard, and how are they to hear without someone preaching, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? I would like to read that last part again, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? God is ultimately the one who sins, but he uses you, the church, to accomplish this task. Thank you for being a sending church by being the feet of the body of Christ, carrying me and the group, allowing us to preach the gospel. The power of prayer cannot be overemphasized enough. In Acts chapter 12, Peter is imprisoned, but earnest prayer was made for him to God by the church, and God rescued him. God opened so many doors for the gospel to be preached on this trip. I and the others from our group from Bosnia would love to share some of these conversations with you. We are having the ice cream social tonight starting at 6 p.m. Please come and be encouraged and see where you, being the feet of the body of Christ, have taken us. 
I also want to encourage and challenge you, if God calls you to be the one to go and be his hands to say yes, it has been such a blessing, honor, and overwhelming joy to be in the will of God and to help fulfill the Great Commission. All right. Thanks, Benita. So a couple weeks ago, some of us from the church went to Bosnia and Sarajevo and taught the English school there again. And so you've heard, heard some stories and heard us talk about that already. But tonight you'll have an opportunity to hear a little bit of an extended report. So come at 6 o'clock. We're going to start at 6 instead of 6.30 tonight. So come at 6. We'll have some ice cream. We'll serve you and all that. And in the midst of all that, we'll, uh, we'll just start showing you a few pictures and talking about some of our experiences. We'd love for everybody to come back tonight at 6 o'clock. Okay? All right, Mr. Tim, we're going to turn it over to you guys and we'll lead us in worship. If you'll stand with us this morning. Please take your Bible this morning, if you have one with you, and turn to Matthew chapter 6. And if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, there should be one underneath the chair that you're sitting in or one in front of you somewhere close to you. And Matthew chapter 6, I think it's around page 964 or something like that in uh, your pew Bibles that you might have. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we honor God in reading His Word together this morning. Matthew chapter 6, and I'll begin reading at verse 19. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for he will either, either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Let's pray together again. Thank you for your word, Father. We thank you that Jesus came and walked upon the earth and spoke these words on a mountainside to those who had interest in the kingdom of God, some who were in the kingdom of God, and even for those who would one day believe, as some of us have. These words are truth. God, help us to listen that way to these words this morning. Help us, by the aid of the Holy Spirit, to understand them and to... Live them out. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. I imagine this passage of Scripture is familiar to a lot of people when it talks about laying up treasures, uh, not on earth, but instead and in heaven. And I think in this passage of Scripture when it talks about uh, things being destroyed on earth by moths and so forth, you know, it just means things wear out quickly. Things are not permanent. Sometimes I see my boys running around the house and, and uh, they're wearing socks that's got holes in them. And I mean, there's more, there's more foot showing than there is socks sometimes. 
And it's not because their daddy's a hillbilly and they're trying to not wear socks like they do in East Tennessee or it's not because we can't afford new socks. It, they just don't care. And they're just saving them up. I don't know why, what it is. But things, things just kind of wear out, don't they? I remember my grandmother growing up. Uh, bless her heart. She's with the Lord now. But she used to like to save stuff. You know, we grew up in that depression area where you didn't throw a lot of stuff away. And she didn't throw food away either. And so when we, we went to get milk out of the refrigerator at Grandma's house, somebody would say, check the date. Check the date first. You might get a, open up a bag of chips and get a surprise. It might say 1976 and it be 1985. You know, so we had to kind of be careful. She just wasn't going to throw things away. But she's also very generous at the same time. Thieves can break in and steal as well some of the things that we hold precious to us. Maybe you've had something stolen from you before. I remember when I was a pastor... Uh, before I got married, I was pastoring in southern Indiana, in Bedford, Indiana, and I uh, lived down in the Sunday school room in the basement of that church for about a year while I was going to seminary. And one, well, I didn't have hardly anything. Uh, I had this truck that was had almost 300,000 miles on it, but there's an old country song that says there ain't nothing wrong with the radio. Well, I went and bought me a nice radio for that old truck. And one morning I got up and I looked and my truck was right, had rolled right next to the church. The bumper was right on the, the limestone building. And I realized as I went to the side that somebody had broken to my truck. My door was open and my radio was gone. I wish they just took the truck and left the radio, you know. But we live on earth where moth, uh, rust destroys and things break in and steal. Uh, but we're so tempted sometimes to hoard things and store things up for ourselves. I remember I may have told this story before. When I was in the military, I joined the Army when I was 18. and I was in uh, Saudi Arabia and Iraq during Desert Storm. And we, uh, it took about a month or two to start getting letters from home. But once I started getting letters from home, some boxes came too. Mom and Dad would send them things and people from church family would send some things. And one time I got some Oreo cookies. Now, they weren't double stuff, but I didn't care. I got Oreo cookies. And you know, I, I imagine I shared some things, but I did not share my Oreos with anybody. And I remember one time there was a ceasefire came across the radio. We were listening to it. The ceasefire had been organized, that, uh, and we, we knew we were going home. And I got them Oreos out. You know, I was going to party a little bit, and I decided I would share now, because now I knew I was going home. I could get double-stuffed Oreos if I wanted to, you know, eventually get home. But the guys were like, no, for reals, we're okay. I think they knew that I had stuff that I'd been hoarding for myself. Now I feel guilty, even to this day, that I was hoarding my Oreos and saving them up. You know, we was eating MREs, you know, meals ready to eat the Army food that lasts forever. In fact, I had one of those down in the basement for until a few months ago from, uh, from 25 years ago from Desert Storm. And finally I got it out and showed the kids, and we opened it up and ate some of it. I mean, it tastes the same as it did then, you know, just as bad as it is, was then as it is now. Some of them weren't too bad, too bad. But you wouldn't save up an Oreo and eat it 25 years later because it's going to grow old. So stuff gets old and stuff decays, even MREs, whatever it is, is not meant to last forever. Things on this world, Jesus is saying in these verses, if you look at your Bible, uh, they're not going to last. There's no security in those things. Now, people in the world know this too. We're going to talk some more tonight about our experiences in Bosnia, but one of the guys I met, his name was Almir. And Almir was a few years younger than me, but he's got a family. And we were talking one day, and he speaks really good English. Almir's a committed Muslim. But as I was talking to Almir, he came up to me, and we, we had a mutual respect for one another. As a committed Muslim, he's seeking to, he realizes 
in relation to this topic, he realizes he's got a real good job, which is unusual there in Sarajevo. He's got a good job, and he, but he realizes that pursuing his career and so forth is not something he needs to put before his family, that his family needs to come first. And that's a good thing. So what I'm saying is this. Up to this point, uh, what I've said could be said in a Jewish synagogue, and nobody would have a problem with it. You could be said in a Muslim mosque in, in a, you know, a mosque in, in Sarajevo, Bosnia, and nobody have a problem with it because there's a, there's an understanding because we've been created in the image of God that we ought to realize that this world ain't going to last forever. Now, people suppress that and chase after money all the time, which is the thrust of this passage to one extent. But, but if we just stop right here, we're not getting to the gospel, are we? So there's this understanding that, yeah, it's, it's, it's really a form of idolatry that we suppress to just to, to, to be materialistic and seek after money and put it in front of other things and, and what's important. But what Jesus is getting at here is he presses on. If you look at your Bible in verse 20, look at what he says. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And in the context here, and as he fleshes it out, when he says, lay up treasures for yourselves in heaven, he's talking about doing that through him, through Jesus Christ, who's ushering in the promises of the kingdom of God. Amen. And so what he's saying here is, is it's not just enough to realize it's wrong to pursue money above everything else or materialism or, 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 or worldliness. I mean, even a Muslim in, in Sarajevo knows that. All of us here really know that whether we would admit it or not. But what Jesus is saying here is not just enough to admit that, but, but also that we have to follow Him. That we have to put Him first. To seek heavenly treasure is to follow Jesus Christ exclusively. So the main point of this passage of Scripture is this. Avoid the deception of earthly treasures by, and here, so here's how to do it, by pursuing treasures which money can't buy. And I would add the word by only. So if you're taking notes, by only, O-N-L-Y, by only pursuing treasures which money can't buy. And that word only that I want to insert in that statement there is important because I think as we work through three illustrations here, three metaphors that Jesus uses in these verses, that's His whole focus. You can't have, you can't have both. You can't straddle the fence. You can't, there's no neutrality here when it comes to the kingdom of God. You just can't be a good person who knows that you shouldn't be seeking material things and prosperity and think you're going to make it to heaven. You've got to step over on the other side of that fence and start following Jesus Christ and laying up treasures in, the, in heaven by seeking His will and doing what He says to do. This is Matthew 6.33, which Lord Wynn will get to next week. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. This is a thrust of, of Matthew 6, even to the Sermon on the Mount. To follow Christ exclusively. So you know what a pack rat is. Some of you are pack rats. Some of you kids are pack rats. You don't want to throw anything away. Some of you adults are pack rats or hoarders. And you've seen extreme examples of hoarders. There's even a TV show out there. Some kind of reality show. Man, there's reality shows about everything nowadays, ain't there? Now, I think there's one about hoarders out there where, where there's extreme people are hoarding things and don't want to throw anything away and they barely get around in their homes. 
It's easy to spot this materialism in some people, and some of those people are poor. By the way, you don't have to be rich in order to violate this commandment. It's talking about wanting to be rich and, and wanting to pursue that, and that dominates your thoughts, this materialism. So it's easy to spot in some people. If you look in your Bible, I'll turn over there real quickly. Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Now, I won't read all these verses, but I'll talk through it. Luke chapter 12 talks about a man who had plenty of things. He had everything he needed. He had everything he wanted. He didn't lack anything. But Luke chapter 12, verse 15, that Jesus began to tell a story about this man. This man said, verse 15, he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told him a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. So he had plenty, right? This is Luke chapter 12, verse 17 now. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. I guess I will read all that. Verse 20. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Verse 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. For some people, it's very easy to spot this materialism, this worldliness, this laying up treasures on earth that, that, that's so foolish. We may, maybe we think of a Hollywood actor or we think of somebody like in this story right here who just has plenty and just keeps it for themselves. They're storing it up. Remember how many times in that passage I just read in Luke chapter 12, it uses the word store up. And then look at our passage here in Matthew chapter 6. Look at your Bible. Do not lay up. Same word there, store up. Don't, don't store up or lay up or hoard or keep to yourself. Be self-centered and selfish and all these type of things. Well, that's easy to spot in some people, ain't it? It's just obvious that that's the bent of their heart and the bent of their life. But it's also, you listen this morning, it's very deceptive. It's a very deceptive temptation. This worldliness we, is something we all battle and fight. It may be easy to spot in certain people, but it's something... Jesus said to people on the mountainside, and many of them were poor. Think of the Sermon on the Mountain, who he was talking to. I don't think there were a bunch of rich people he was talking to here. I think there were a bunch of people that wanted to be rich, that didn't want to be poor. There's nothing wrong with not wanting to be poor and be able to pay your bills and not be in debt and all that kind of thing. Jesus ain't saying otherwise. But what he's warning them here is be aware of this deception of earthly treasures. There's a deception. We're easily deceived that these things can make us happy. All of us. And the way to do that is avoid the deception by only pursuing heavenly treasures. So, this morning I want to present to you three crucial questions to help us see something about our hearts this morning. To see something about our lives. To see where we're at in relation to the fence. Are we with the world? Are we trying to be neutral and think we're pretty good, but we're not really following? Or are we following Christ? That's what it really all comes down to. It's less about money and it's more about the treasure of Jesus and the kingdom. Are we following Jesus? So I hope you'll see that this morning. So three questions dealing with worldliness to see where we're at in relation to 
what side of the fence we're on. Number one, where is your heart? Where is your heart? One of the ladies, Emma, will probably speak about tonight. I don't know that she will, but one of the ladies that was in Bosnia that we met that was in Emma's class, um, I don't remember her name. And unfortunately, the way I would be able to refer to her would be the bag lady. She's a lady that would, had come the last two years when we've taught the English course in Sarajevo. And uh, she dresses uh, strange, uh, and she carries bags with her wherever she goes. In fact, one of the summers we were there, uh, one of the men in the class uh, in the school, a uh, Bosnian uh, Muslim man, he went and bought her a cart to, so she could carry her bags around. But she next year she didn't have the cart. She wants to carry her bags. And there's just junk in those bags she carries. And a lot of the students don't want to be around her, so we have to be especially careful that we're patient with her and uh, she can be rude and so forth and, and love on her and she can be very friendly at the same time. And it, she, it, She's a hoarder of some sorts, and not of things that are valuable, but, but, but a hoarder keeping things to herself. It's easy to spot that. Her hoarding, it's obvious when talking with her that she has a problem, some type of mental problem, a problem in the head of some type. Our problem, all of us, and hers as well, is in the heart. Once you look at verse 21, what's your Bible say in verse 21? You're looking at your Bible? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The problem's in the heart. And such it is for all temptations and all sin. There's a problem in heart, in the desire. The heart is the seat of the emotions. It's the will. It's what we want. It's what, our, it's what we're affected by. It's what we love. It's what we cherish. The problem is our desires. The problem is what we love, is, is who we cherish. When we, so when we say here, where is your heart? Uh, what, what Jesus is getting at here is who do you love? What do you love? What is precious to you? What do you see is truly valuable that, that affects you when you think about it? The rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19 is such a prime example. There's a, there's a young man that came to Jesus one day that had a lot of money. And the young man, if you remember the story, it's pretty familiar to a lot of us. Uh, he wanted to know how to have eternal life. And Jesus said to him in Matthew chapter 19, if you're there in verse 17, Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. You remember what the young, rich, young ruler said to him? He said, uh, well, yeah, I've kept all these commandments. I, I've sought to be a good guy. I've sought to live a good life is basically what he says. He says, which ones am I supposed to keep? Well, that's not a very good question to ask. Which ones do you want me to keep, Jesus? Well, all of them would be a good idea. And he goes through them and says, well, these I've kept. What do I still lack? Verse 21, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. So here was a guy living a pretty good life, pretty good moral upstanding guy, it sounds like. Sounds like a lot of the Pharisees and Sadducees, though. But when it came right down to it, Jesus says, Go sell all you got and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for, for he had great possessions. Does that mean you've got to sell everything if you're going to follow Jesus? Well, if he makes that really clear, then yeah, you would. But what it is, is Jesus is getting at, is Jesus is getting at his heart. God knows your heart, and Jesus is God, and God knew exactly where this man's heart was. His heart was with his treasure on earth, and his heart was not with God. But the question I want to ask us again this morning, we ask ourselves, where is our heart? 
Avoid the deception of earthly treasures by only pursuing heavenly treasures. Second question, where is your focus? Where is your focus? If we look back in Matthew chapter 6, he starts talking about seeing things, beholding things, the eyes, the lamp of the body, and so forth. And on my driver's license, and some of you are like this as well, on my driver's license, there's a, a cold or something like that, that that requires me to wear my glasses when I drive. Yeah, you don't want me to not wear my glasses when I drive. I take my glasses off. It's just a blur right now. I cannot see anything. I cannot see the words on that screen. I cannot see the words on my Bible from this distance. Now I can see the words on my Bible. That's how bad my eyesight is. Why do I need glasses? They help me focus. And when you look in your Bible in chapter 6, verse 22, where it says, The eyes, the lamp of the body, so if your eyes healthy, your whole body will be full of light. There's a word that's used here. The Greek word really means a singular vision, a, a focus. It's what's being talked about. So the eye is not, there's not a flashlight, there's not light coming out of your eye. But, but your eye it, uh, it takes in light and Dr. Brown could come up and explain this for us a lot better than I could. But somehow you, the way God's designed this wonderful organ in our body, this eye, is to help us focus and be able to see. It's an amazing thing when you think about it. It should lead us to fall upon our knees and say, Oh God, you are the creator. What must I do to follow you? So he talks about a singular focus. And what he warns about here in verse 23, if you look at your Bible, but if your eyes bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. So again, you either have a good eye or a bad eye. You either laying up treasures in heaven or laying up treasures on earth. And where's your heart? Where's your focus? And do you have a singular vision is what he's getting at in these two verses. Spiritually, for those of us who are believers this morning, we've received corrected vision. Amen. We've, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we've beheld the beauty and the glory of Christ, the glory of God shining in the face of Christ. I was in Tim Johnson's Sunday school class and they were talking about the conversion of Paul who was, who was literally blinded on the road to Damascus by God so that he could only see Christ. But before that, he was blinded completely from Christ because all he could see was the world. And God did this wonderful miracle of regeneration whereas He was blinded to everything but Jesus and began to follow Him. And He could see and His vision was corrected and suddenly He goes from killing people who believe in Jesus to following Christ. I was reading in Titus, the book of Titus yesterday morning, my own devotional time, just reading the opening words how Paul talks so affectionately, so lovingly about his Savior, Jesus and I thought about how his life was before when I was reading that yesterday, after evening actually. And I thought, man, what, what God had done in him to change him and how he's done that for you. And he's corrected your vision. Amen? He's given you spiritual sight. But it's a battle, isn't it? It's still a fight to, to see and to, to only see him. Because... We only want to see Christ, but we're seeing, we're seeing this new thing over here we want, or, or we're seeing this opportunity in our job over here, and, and there's good things about it, but so easily it becomes idolatry, and this worldliness creeps in. And Jesus is telling these would-be disciples, or these true disciples, because there's a mixed multitude on the mountainside, He's saying to them, focus on Me. 
Focus on the things that are eternal, that's going to last forever. Brandon Kite was talking in Sunday school. I was in there this morning. I just walked in just when he was saying this about his own conversion experience, how God had, had saved him from so, uh, so just a radical lifestyle within, within, within just a few, uh, maybe it was hours. I don't remember how Brandon was talking about, but his, his desires completely changed and, and the way he described it. He said, now I went from, I went from that to suddenly chasing after Jesus. Well, you don't go from chasing after the world to chasing after Jesus if there's not been a miracle take place in you. And you've not been given new sight to see. I wonder if that's happened for you. Or if you're just playing religious and you just kind of go through the motions and you believe Jesus a certain way because mom and dad brings you to church after all and, and, and you know the right words to say and all this. But man, has something happened inside of you to where you're... Your desire now, because He's chased after you first, is now you chase after Him. He loved you first and now you love Him. That's the right order. Has that happened in your heart? I noticed the print in my Bible. I mentioned last Sunday night, I think it was. Is the print in my Bible is getting smaller. Has your Bible ever done that? It's just shrinking. Because the numbers are dying. So something's wrong with my Bible. No, it's not true, right? It's, it's my eyesight. I'm, I've reached that mark as a 46-year-old that things are not coming into his focus as easily as he once was. And when it comes to us spirit, to seeing spiritually, our, when our spiritual sight is weak, it's not because, and we find ourselves pulled by the world when our spiritual sight is weak, it's not because the kingdom of God has gotten smaller or the promises of God are not as great as they once were. Nothing's changed, just like this word doesn't change, Right? It's not that forsaking all to follow Jesus is not any greater than it ever was before. But the reason it's looking smaller to us is because our focus on the world is clouding our vision. And I wonder if that might be true of us this morning. I know it's true of me at sometimes. My focus gets clouded. And wanting to sacrifice for Jesus and then do this or, or, or not have this thing here is, is difficult and hard. It's a battle. So what's, what happens when our spiritual sight becomes weaker? Nothing wrong with the kingdom of God. Nothing wrong with His promises. Forsaking everything to follow Jesus is just as great as it ever was before. The problem was with us. This battle. And so what, what's the symptoms of that? We start getting envious. We start wanting this because, and, or jealous because this person got this promotion or that person was able to get that brand new whatever. We, we become discontent. Are, are some of this characterizing your life this morning? Sometimes it characterizes mine. It's a battle every single week. To not be discontent, to be jealous, to be envious. Are, do you, are there any worriers in here this morning? Anybody get anxious? That's what happens when, a, when our, our vision is clouded. We start getting anxious. We start getting worried about how we're going to take care of this and take care of that. That's what Jesus begins to talk about after these verses through the end of the chapter, right? He talks about worrying. Don't, don't worry about this and worry about that. Don't be anxious. God's going to take care of you. So there's a focus here. So what Jesus is doing in the text, and really all I'm doing is just re going back and, and what Jesus is doing, going back and rehammering this main point. Avoid the deception of earthly treasures, he's saying to his sheep. He's saying to these would-be sheep. He's saying, by only pursuing heavenly treasures, by only pursuing me. So Jesus is saying here, Jesus is exhorting those on the mountainside. And he's exhorting you today because his word has not changed. He's exhorting you and he's calling you and me. 
to gaze solely upon Him and what He promises in the kingdom of God. And that's that's why we come to church. Right? That's why we come to church. To be reminded that these promises are true. This is the Word of God. We stand to have the Word of God read. Not because of some legalistic thing, hopefully. But to remind us that God in heaven is speaking. And we're under this Word. We're under what? We're under God. And when we place our lives under this Word, then we're seeking Him. And what He's saying to us this morning is, don't put material of prosperity things in front of Him. So what are we going to do with this message What's God speaking to you about? What should your life look like differently because of this? Or do we just endure the sermon and go on? Check that off the list. We got through a 40 minute message or however long it is. And now I can go ahead and go eat lunch and go about my week next week and endure another sermon next Sunday if I decide to come. That's not what it's about. That's religion. And you're going to hell if that's all you got. You need Christ and Him alone, right? And the thing is, is not just some hillbilly preacher yelling at you with his face turning red and sweat coming down his face this morning. This is for your joy. I'm already getting to where I'm headed this morning. I can't help it. It's for your joy. See how happy I am? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not always happy. I struggle with anxiety and worry and jealousy and envy and this and that. Oh, it's a battle. But it's a fight for joy. So the reason we got to scream this out this morning to only follow Christ is, is your soul is at stake and your joy is at stake too. It's not just about having fire and insurance and going to heaven. It's about, it's about having Jesus so that anything that goes on in your life, whether it's a diagnosis at the hospital from the doctor or, or a car accident next week or losing your job or something good happening, whatever it is, no matter what circumstance you can say with Paul, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. He's a greater joy. I count everything but Christ like dung. Everything everything else is like dung in comparison to Christ. So I can do jail time. I can do all things. I can do jail time for Christ who strengthens me. If they throw me in jail for believing in Jesus, I can do it. Because Christ is better. Jesus is better. He strengthens me. That's what, that's, that's the goal here. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's how He wants our hearts affected. That's why you send your kids to, to, to church camp this past week. Not so you can get a break from them, hopefully. Or Bible school next week. Not so you can have an evening to yourself. Right? I know that thought's there because it's in my mind too sometimes, to be honest with you. But listen. We do devotions, we, we, we have our kids go through the same coast. If we, as Brandon shared this morning, if we're chasing after Jesus, that's, that's our desire and we're fighting for that, man, that's what we want our kids doing too. We don't want them just to inherit our faith and say the same words we say because that's how we raised them. We want them to come at a time in our life where they say, why haven't I, why haven't I heard this before? <laughs> you know? Do you understand what I mean by that? We want them to be sitting in Sunday school or at church camp or Bible school or in our house when we're doing devotions and all of a sudden it's like, John 3.16, have you ever read John 3.16 before, Mom? And they've heard it a million times. You've explained it a million times. The preacher's preached on it, but suddenly they get it, right? That's what Jesus is getting at here, that we, that we get it. He become the focus. Where is your heart? Where is your focus? 
He wants us to be able to say, as the old hymn says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of this world, right, will grow strangely dim. I like that. Strangely, don't you? Because it's strange to the world. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and the things of this world will look strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. And that's what we're being called to here in the Scripture. Look at Christ. Keep looking at the Bible. Keep coming to church. Don't just say, I think I'll come next Sunday. I think I'll come to Bible study if it conveniences me, if the weather's nice and, and I'm not, and I've, I've not got this going on or, or the wind's not blowing too hard. You know, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to forsake the assembly of myself together because, because I need to come and be exhorted and encouraged in the Word of God. And sometimes I'm really going to enjoy it. It's going to be like my wife fixing, man, I grill hamburgers. The other night, she put some good hamburger patties together. And I didn't know it, but she was fixing homemade french fries in the deep fryer. And it's not the first time I had it. But I ate them hamburgers. And I ate them french fries with some... Uh, what that, what's that kind of salt we put on there? To, to, yeah, seasoned salt. Man, it was so good. But I've had it before. But I just thought, honey, that was, that was good tonight. And sometimes you're going to come to church and you're going to come to Bible study and you're going, to, you're going to leave and you're going to say, oh man, that was good. And you've heard it before. It's no different. And sometimes you're going to come and you're going to say, well, what do we, we had hamburgers and french fries today. That was nice. And that's how it is when we come to church sometimes or Bible study. That was, it was good today. How was church? It was good. But we're not skipping meals, are we? I mean, unless you're on some crazy radical diet, we're not. You know, don't most of us look like we're skipping meals, you know? And when it comes spiritually, we're not. Why are we going to skip out on something spiritually? Don't we need this steady diet? And sometimes we're going to be like, "Yeah, man, God spoke to me this morning." Sometimes we'll be like, "I don't know what the preacher was thinking about. I don't understand. I couldn't follow him. He said it's just over my head." But you just come on back the next time. You don't know what God's going to do in your heart. You're sitting in Sunday school class. You're like, man, God was just speaking through His people as they were sharing things in their lives together in a small group. You don't forsake that. It's all out there for you. This smorgasbord of joy in Christ. And He's saying, just keep being faithful. Where is your heart? Secondly, what is your focus? Third, who is your master? Avoid the deception of earthly treasures by only pursuing heavenly treasures. Who is your master? You see that in the last verse? You looking at it? Verse 24. Isn't that right? Isn't that the question we should ask ourselves? Verse 24, look at your Bible. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's an impossibility. There's incompatibility leads to impossibility. You see that? You can't say I'm going to have two masters. You know, a slave can't do that. That was a problem in the Old Testament. Many times in the Old Testament, people, they were idolaters, right? And they didn't trust that, that God was going to provide children for them or whatever. So as one commentator said, they would follow the gods that they had made up of, Can of the Canaanites or follow the Canaanite gods of, of uh, fertility. Or they'd follow the god Baal because maybe Baal could take care of this. So Elijah the prophet confronted them in the Old Testament, remember? One of the prophets that confronted them about their syncretism. And syncretism is where you take 
Christianity and you try to combine it with something else. You take following God and you, you, you just combine that with worldly philosophy or other religions and try to have it all in the same pot. And Jesus says, I'll have none of that. No neutrality. You can't straddle the fence. Follow me. Singularly focused. I want your heart. I want to be your master. You can't have two. So what's Elijah say? How long do you halt between two opinions? How long are you going to stand here and try to try to figure out what you're going to do? It reminds me when I was shopping with my wife and we were first married. Or right before we were married, we went to Walmart. And she was looking for containers for a second grade Sunday school class. Plastic containers. And we stood in Walmart looking at plastic containers for an hour and a half. It seemed like an eternity. And I'm thinking to myself, how long are you going to halt between two opinions? And not just two, but 30, but just do something. That's what Elijah was saying. That's what God's saying to us. How long? How long are you going to keep playing the religious game? Follow Christ and Him alone. Who is your master? That's the thrust of verse 24. Who are you serving? You can't have it both ways. What God demands and what the world demands and desires is ultimately going to come into conflict. So that's the reason you've got to be so careful about your career path. Be sure you've prayed about it. Be sure that you have peace, that God's leading you a certain way. He'll never lead you to contradict His Word. But there's many options out there that are hard to, hard to find out, and you have to seek the Lord in prayer and seek godly wisdom. Don't love the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. 1 John two fifteen and 16. So again, the thrust of this passage of Scripture is this. <clears throat> Don't attempt to compartmentalize your walk with Jesus. You hear? Don't attempt to compartmentalize your walk with Jesus. That you've got a compartment in your life for Jesus, and you've got a compartment in your life for your hobby, and you've got this compartment over here for, for family, and you've got this compartment for work, which is probably really big for a lot of you. Jesus don't want a compartment. He wants the whole thing. He wants you. He wants your whole life. That's what He's calling these people on this mountainside to. Has He worked in your heart that way? You see the passage of Scripture, the big picture of this passage of Scripture. <clears throat> it's about following Jesus exclusively. It has less to do with what you're going to do with money and more to do what, what are you going to do with Jesus <clears throat> the passage of Scripture functions like a mirror. And you take a mirror and you look at it and it, sh it shows you what's going on here. You think, man, I look pretty good. I know. <laughs> Whoa! I didn't see that. I look better than I thought I did. No. Sometimes you look in a mirror and you're like, oh man, I'm a mess. I look awful. I didn't know I had that thing growing on me. You know? And what Jesus is saying here, the way that we... Just look at your checkbook. If you have a family budget, look at that. He's using money and materialism and riches to say, that's like a mirror. It's going to tell you, the way you're using money and finances is going to tell you a whole lot about what side of the fence you're on or how much you're struggling in your relationship and your walk with Jesus right now. 
So the response to this is to look in the mirror of how you're using finances and money and all these things. The response to this is to look and say, oh my, oh my, look at me. I'm letting my heart drift too far. My master is becoming other things other than Jesus. My focus is not on Christ like it should be. And then to repent. That may mean I need to start giving more. I need to start tithing more. It could be that. Brian Swirtley says, Consequently, the average American owes over $8,000 in credit card debt and tithes less than 2% of their income. That's a shame. People are in different places. I don't have this doctrine of you must tithe 10%. I think that carries over from the Old Testament. I, I think the New Testament teaches generous giving. It could be a lot more than 10% could be less for some people based on where you're at. But give generously. and Make that your goal and desire. It could play over into how many hours are you working at work, men, ladies? Are you working so hard to get that promotion that you're neglecting the things of God? Your family should come before work. Your kids should come before work. It could carry over. And, oh, thank you. I was hoping somebody might do that. You know what the Bible says about bringing a preacher a cold glass of water? Nothing. Uh, But that helps. What about that stuff in your basement that's all stored up or in the attic? All that stuff that you're going to get to one of these days... Well, kids, what about them toys in your closet that you ain't played with in six months? What about all them shoes in your closet? When's the last time you wore ten pair of them? Not all at once, but when time, when's the last time you wore some of them? Well, tomorrow I'm going to go to the shoe store and get another pair of shoes. Really? I mean, I struggle with purchasing stuff and just like anybody else, should I do this? No, I mean, it's good. It's a, maybe it's a sign of grace that we struggle whether or not we should buy something. Don't you think? It's a sign that maybe the Lord's at work. But we need to pray about it and listen to Him. What you're choosing to do when you graduate from high school or in college or as a career change right now for some of you, is it driven by a desire to find out what Christ wants you to do? Or is it driven by a desire to be popular, to have fame, to have money, to have this or that, be like your parents, whatever? What about planning a budget, a family budget? My wife and I have talked about re-looking at our budget this past week. And what's that going to look like? How's that going to reflect a heart that's for the kingdom of God? Do you even have a family budget? Or are you just kind of freewheeling it, you know, just saying, well, we're doing okay and we're just spending here and spending there. I know a lot of people that do that, and I'm not saying it's not a sin to have a budget, but, I, but to be reckless with what we have is not, it's not, doesn't seem to be wise either. So, so you need to consider that. I think these are some of the practical points of application. So let me end with this. Why do we need this message again? It's for your joy. Why, why is Jesus giving these, just these words? It's for your joy. Let me explain it this way. <clears throat> Jesus said, The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in the field. When a man finds it, he would sell all that he has so he can have what's in that field. Right? For the, because of the joy that that brings him. And we see, when you come to know Christ, that's what it's supposed to be like. And that's the fight for us to maintain that kind of affection for Jesus, though. 
when we were in Bosnia, um, it's, it's a great means of grace to be able to go on a mission trip like that for that long, for 12, 11 days, whatever it was. And one day, some of us got to meet with students who wanted to just meet with us that we got to know during the week down at the mall, one of the nice malls there in Sarajevo. <clears throat> and there was a young man there named Aiden that wanted to talk to some of us. And as I spoke with Aiden, a lot of you know I have low blood sugar. When it comes lunchtime, Nick back there knows i got to eat. I get grumpy. But as I was talking to Aiden about the gospel, and Cana Smith was sitting there with me listening and talking, uh, supper time came, and I didn't think a thing about eating. Later, he walked off, and Cana went to bring him his umbrella, and she ended up talking to him another about another hour. He's a committed Muslim young guy. We, we, just, we love him. We like the guy, but he's lost. So we both just kind of skipped supper that night and, and uh, didn't worry about it, you know. Because when you're focused on the kingdom of God, and that could be right here where we live too. I was talking to my wife this, this week about somebody that she got to talk to about Jesus this week that she's been wanting to talk to right here where we live. And I could just hear the joy in my wife's voice. You see, when we're focused on doing the things in the kingdom of God, it's like Jesus said in John chapter 4, my food is to do the will of the will of the Father. <laughs> when, when you're absorbed in doing what God would have you do, you're focused, your heart's with Him, He's your master, then, yeah, there's, there's physical needs in our life, but, but, but some of that just kind of evaporates for a time, right? Because the desire is for Him. So when I say it's for your joy, it really is. Because when you're engaged in kingdom work, using the gifts, the way God's talented you and so forth, and you're serving Christ, there's nothing like it. There is nothing like it. And you don't have to go to Bosnia to do that. And just go talk to a neighbor this week and see how much joy you get from doing that. Or you serve in Bible school. Or you keep doing some of the things you're doing. It's for your joy that you only serve Christ some of the youth may experience that some at youth camp this week. We have different experiences like that, but we need it on a daily basis, so we fight for it. So we can say, as the old hymn says, and I'll close with this, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou, mine inheritance, now and always, Thou and Thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure Thou art. Man, if I could pray that and mean it every day. My life would look a lot different. Let's pray together this morning. As every head's bowed and every eye's closed this morning, I, our prayer together this morning is, if you've not received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the Bible says to turn from your sin, to put your faith and trust only in Jesus Christ. And I wonder, I wonder if that's ever happened in your heart. If it's not, what I want to say to you right now is we would love to talk with you about how God's at work. We can do that as we sing this last song. We can do that as you can walk out as you walk out the door, get my attention this morning. We would love to speak with you. And for those of you who are Christians this morning, what's God saying to you? What should your, your life look differently? Our, all of our lives should look differently after hearing this message in some way. What's God speaking to you about?
Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how it probes us with these questions about who is our master and where is our heart and what is our focus. God, help us not just to avoid the deceptions of worldly treasures, but help us to pursue only the things that please you, to only pursue Christ. Lord, it's a fight. It's a battle. We need your help. We ask for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing this hymn, uh, a prayer to God this morning that He alone would be our vision. You come with God speaking this morning. What is the gospel? It all begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to rule over the garden. God told them they could eat from any tree that they wanted to in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything was perfect in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with the land, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God until they chose to rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it brought about separation between them and God. Man has always tried to bridge the separation on his own terms and in his own strength. Whether it's building a ladder of morality and trying to be good enough for God, or even in the Old Testament example, when men built a tower into the heavens trying to reach God on their own. A more contemporary example comes from 1961, when the Russians were first successful in sending a man into outer space. Upon returning, the Russian cosmonaut remarked, We have been to space, and we didn't find God or heaven there. A popular professor and author, C.S. Lewis, responded to the Russian cosmonaut. He said that looking for God in outer space is kind of like Hamlet, one of the characters in Shakespeare's plays, looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his home. Lewis said that for Hamlet to have a relationship with Shakespeare, Shakespeare would literally have to write himself into the story. That is the gospel. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies, was born of a virgin. Even as a child, he lived a perfect life. At the age of 30, he began his public ministry. He attracted followers. For three years, he taught, he healed, and he made bold claims, such as saying that he alone was the only way to God. The religious and political leaders did not like these teachings. They invoked a riot against Jesus. They brought about false accusations leading to a trial and to a sentencing of death by public crucifixion. The Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross, that God placed all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute. God made him him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. They took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in a tomb. They rolled a large stone at the entrance of the tomb so no one could get in or out. There were Roman soldiers who were posted on guard to keep people from coming to take Jesus's body. But on the third day, according to scripture, he rose again. After being seen by many eyewitnesses and giving instruction to his followers, he ascended back into the heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before the Father. So what does this have to do with you? The Bible says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way to get rid of the burden of sin on our own. 
God calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ, repent of sins, and trust Christ to live a new life. As we look back and believe in what God has done through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, as we repent and turn from our sins, as we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. So let's review. It all begins with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day. As we believe in Christ, repent from our sins, and trust Jesus for new life, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel. 